We are the body of Christ. We are called by his name. Now that might be an odd term to say, but if you watch us when we are functioning together, not just sitting in a row looking at the back of each other's head or looking up here or even nodding off in in sleep. Yesterday, the body of Christ was moving in this room. Literally. I just mentioned that the work of the Holy Spirit is not like a stagnant pond, but it's like water coming up. You know, here in Japan, there is a, a folk dance that I think it's third grade in Japanese school. At least they used to. I'm not sure that they still do. But I think they teach in the third grade, I think it is, international cultural dances. And one of them is called the Maim. Here in Japan. It's straight from the Bible. It are Bible words. And even... Yeshua, the name of Jesus, is mentioned in that song. And Japanese don't know it. They're giving praise. And it's from Isaiah 12. You shall draw water out of the wells of salvation with joy. Mime water. Mime water. We danced that here, right here in this very spot. Even Ted Namiki was in the circle, dancing. We had a great time these last day and a half. It was, it was a good time. And uh, filled our hearts, filled our, our buckets, so that we really went away exhausted. We all went home and we slept well last night. I'm assuming. But anyway, I did. The Lord had us as a body here look at a particular passage of scripture for the last day and a half. And that scripture was shared with us at a council meeting by one of our members. And she said, I just want to read this when we were just at a place in in the council. I I want to read this passage. And she read it to us. And it was like someone had a big bell and it was boom, boom, boom. This is what God was bringing us to attention, to understand. And it rang true in our hearts that this is what we need to focus on. And so we began to talk about a fall weekend where we could come together as the body of Christ and look at this passage of scripture. This scripture is 2 Peter 2, 1 to 11. We went through and exercised ourselves in our hearts, in our minds, our spirits, in what God was saying to us. There was uh, somewhere probably an average of about 30 people Friday evening 
Saturday morning and through the day till Saturday evening. It began to thin out a little bit, but uh, some of us were diehards, and the, we ended up probably with 25 or so at the end. But it was wonderful. I'm going to read this for us. It's from the New American Standard. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Amen. These are words that some might question, but I don't. Some think that this couldn't have been Peter the fisherman that wrote this. It, it, it's way beyond his intellectual level. Well, you know what? You might think that you're on the lower end of intellectual ability. But you know, God can use anyone, any of us, that submit our gifts to him so that he has full access into our lives. And you might think, well, I failed that exam and it just shows that I can't be used like someone else has been used. That just is not true. 
And here this Galilean fisherman who met Jesus and left his fishing business and became a disciple of Jesus Christ. And even more than a disciple, he became an apostle. He became a leader. In fact, it was when the Holy Spirit had come upon the new believers, it was Peter that stood up and preached a gospel about Jesus Christ who had come and lived as we live, was rejected and gave himself for us on the cross. And not only that, but that in three days he was raised from the dead and he declared to Jerusalem this wonderful message. Peter, the fisherman, smelly, rough hands from handling nets, from sanding boats. Peter wrote this book. But not only that, this book was written, and he says it in this book, just as he was anticipating his own death. And some people in in history say that Peter was crucified, but he requested, don't crucify me like Jesus. And he was crucified upside down. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. We don't have any real record of that. But that is Peter, who was the impetuous person who had He opened his mouth when he should have been quiet. But he was also the one who confessed who Jesus Christ was and is. Peter, a fisherman, just like you and I. Nothing special, but a man who fell in love with Jesus Christ. He's writing these words. Katie and Kent and I, Kent Penner, and I had the privilege these last couple of months of digging into Second Peter and understanding what God would have us to share with the MCC family. And today I'm just going to give kind of a review of what we learned and what we shared yesterday. So this is a review of for those of you that were here, and it may not get all the details that we dug out. Hopefully you remember those, but uh, share those with some of the other members that weren't here. In the first part is uh, kind of introductory, but the title of this message and of, of the weekend was, With a Faith of the Same Kind as Ours. This is very significant this title and and this address or this introduction that Peter gives. Because there's a lot of different faiths around. And if you know anything about Christianity, it is the most mimicked and, which I say, more false cults around Christianity than there is in Buddhism or Hinduism or any other of the world 
religions. Why? Why? Because at the core of Christianity, it really isn't to be imitated. It really isn't. And so what people are trying to cash in on, on Christianity, is that periphery of the benefits and the riches of what there is in following this man, Jesus Christ. And so we have it that Peter wrote this letter knowing that there were people that were going to imitate and try to spin off their religious beliefs to cash in or to draft. Draft means to follow in the, in the wake of Christianity. And that's why we have all these hangers on. Jesus, I think, referred to that when he said, where there's a dead body, the vultures will, will gather. And we have, in Tokyo here, we have, we don't have vultures, but we have these big black ravens. And in fact, it's a big problem here in Tokyo. You put your garbage out, and now, in some cities now, they say you can't put your garbage out unless you have a net over it. And I've never been in a, a city or lived in a neighborhood that is so concerned about garbage. And a lot of it has to do because of these uh, Tokyo buzzards, these ravens. And so Jesus re was referring to false teachers. Peter was concerned about this, but he knew that he was going to be executed soon, and he wrote this letter. So it came from his heart. And he was concerned about MCC. He was concerned about our church. Because we are down the line from this word. And that's who we are identified here. He's speaking to us that we hold fast to the faith and that we not be diverted from it. That was his concern. So he says that to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. He didn't say the same religion. He said the same faith. And there's a lot of difference between religion and faith, believe me. But he goes on to say, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And he uses that word knowledge several times in just this, these 11 verses. Kent dug into this much deeper than your normal scholar because he is a professional teacher. And you know, you've all been around teachers that really know so much and know how to put it together. Kent is a teacher of teachers. And he brought out what gnosis, which is the Greek for knowledge, gnosis. Miwa is a uh, nurse. And we learned something from Kent yesterday, didn't we? 
Does anybody know what happens when you go to the doctor? They give you a diagnosis. What is that word? Diagnosis. Uh, means to find the, the understanding, the knowledge of what is wrong with you. We go to a doctor and we want to have him tell us what he knows about what we're suffering. And that's why we have to go from doctor to doctor until we find out who's the cheapest. No, who is uh, the smartest and able to take apart and understand what is wrong with us. This word gnosis, we learned, is uh, something that we use in the English language. Uh, diagnosis. Prognosis. Well, that's another one. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. That's mentioned in uh, the same verse. And in particular, Kent brought out that it is in the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. The true knowledge. True knowledge is actually another word like diagnosis, but it's epinosis. Epi means true. And so this is a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay? And then it's mentioned again in verse 8, in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then we came to verse 4, and this was the verse 3 and 4 was what God was putting on my heart to share. And the key words in, in those verses 3 and 4 is the word granted to us. And I use the illustration of, in Japanese, we have a term that's called receiving, with thanksgiving. Receiving from above. Anybody know what I'm talking about in Japanese? I'm receiving from above. You hear it all the time in Japan. Well, not all the time, but quite often you will hear, particularly if you're with very conservative, well-bred Japanese, and you're having a, a wonderful meal with them, and you're about to eat, and everybody in unison, I don't know how the Japanese know this timing, but it's together, itadakimasu. Itadakimasu actually means, I am receiving from above me. I am receiving this. Well, some people say, well, that's, that's Buddhistic. That's not Christian. Because what a Buddhist believes is all life we receive. And so in Itadaku, particularly if you're eating raw fish, that fish is giving its life for my life. But no, I think it has a higher meaning than that. Because God is the one who has created every living thing for us to have for our well-being. That's what the Bible teaches. And so, where does itadaku come from? It is coming from 
the creator of the universe, the God that we worship, I receive from him. That is our attitude in life. And we enjoy the opportunity that we have daily to ask for his blessing on our meal. You know, this speaks loudly to families. You have your parents over, or you have your brother over in his family. That's a good opportunity to witness that you stop and you thank the Father through Jesus Christ for your meal. It is a witness. Don't belittle it. It means a lot. Have you ever gone to a restaurant? You look across the restaurant and you see somebody going, bowing. They must know the Lord like I know him. Yeah. You don't know the witness that you're giving. That's very powerful. That he granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. In my group that I was facilitating last night, we, we dealt with this precious and magnificent. I was the only guy in, in the group with four ladies. I asked them, I said, what does precious mean to you? I don't think I've ever very rarely have used that. I don't even use that for Katie, although she's very precious to me. <laughs> it just isn't the word that us guys use. Well, we also discovered that, I said, well, did you ever use the word magnificent? And they said, ah, I don't know when I used that last. Oh, you, you gals don't use magnificent? Well, I've got a magnificent car. Woo! <laughs> it is really, it just thrills you every time you look at it, especially when you're high speed and away you go. This is magnificent. So even in that precious and magnificent, God made us so different. But it's all speaking of what his promises are like to us. They're individualized. They're for us to own, to receive his promises. And promises are great. What really motivates the human heart and mind? It's the promise. It's the hope. We need that. And that's what God does for us. He knows that we need these precious and magnificent promises. They drive us. Because in the end, it says, we'll be partakers of the divine nature. Partakers. Okay, here's another Greek. The, the Greek really says that this is koinonia. You might know what that word means. It means fellowship. And so Peter is saying here, so that by them, the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature. We're fellowshipping with the divine nature. One of the things that Kent brought out in his on the knowledge thing is that knowledge is a good give and take. When you know something, it is shared or shared with you. 
knowledge is back and forth. In fact, even the base word of the underlying definition in the Bible of knowledge or knowing or knowing someone is a very intimate word. And it's not just the American way. If you, if you compared an average American to a, an average Japanese, you'd find that an American has probably 500, some people 1,000. How many people have 500 people on your Facebook that follow you? There are some people among us that have 500 <laughs> friends on the Facebook. I can't believe it. That is becoming a very popular thing. Now, do you, I'm not going to look at anybody that just raised their hand at about 500. Do you really know those people? I'm not looking at you. Do you really know them? Several years ago, before Facebook, I was wondering why does the Japanese church kind of center around a membership of 30 people? And as I dug into understanding that, I discovered something, a difference between Westerners and the Japanese. It may not be just Westerners. It may be also Chinese society. I don't know. But anyway, comparing Western culture and Japanese culture, we have mega churches of thousands of people in the United States. Oh, that's because you have a long history of Christianity. That's why you have megachurches. And a megachurch in Japan is 400, 500, 600. Why? Well, because Japanese don't like large churches. Ah, you're getting close. The average Japanese, at least this is a few years ago, it might be changed because of Facebook, but the average Japanese has an intimate circle of people that they know of 30 people. Think about that if you're from a Japanese background. How many friends do you have? Have you ever listed those 30 people? You probably could do it very quickly. More so than those that have 500 in their Facebook. Couldn't list all those people. But what am I trying to say here? is that in our fellowship with one another, there has to be a knowledge of knowing intimately to a point where it's not just your first and last name, but we know what your personality is, we know what your job is, we know how many kids, we know what their birthdays are. This, this is friendship. This is koinonia. This is what... Peter is writing about, and he knew nothing about Facebook. Precious and magnificent promises. I think we're going to have to have this for another message. Wow. He's granted to us these precious and magnificent promises so that we be partakers of his divine nature. How familiar are you with Jesus Christ? How familiar is he of you? What do you know that he knows about you? That's a good question for us to ask. 
as, as Christians. And I think I will stop it right there. That's what we're doing here. We are learning to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know him on a personal basis? Do you call him Father? Not just God. Can you say that word to him, Father? Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Do you know that father-son, father-daughter relationship with Jesus Christ and with the Father? Jesus is our elder brother. He is our Onisan. He's the one who models for us what the Father is about. He's the one that introduces us to Daddy, to Dad. As a eldest in my family, I was the Onisan. And I had to pass down to my two younger brothers what life was all about and what was happening in our family. That was my role as a elder brother. Jesus is our elder brother. And he introduces us to our Father. What a privilege we have of having an elder brother like Jesus Christ who knows us thoroughly and we can get to know him thoroughly. Father, I thank you for your word and thank you for the richness of it so much so that we could spend all day here again delving into your word and understanding what life is all about. Not religion, but life. And we thank you that you have come and shown your light into our lives. And we have the privilege of fellowshipping with one another, enjoying what you are doing in each of our hearts and lives. And we pray that this week as we separate and go out to our jobs and our places of calling, whether it's in a school or neighborhood or company, just in casual meeting of people on the train or at Starbucks or wherever it might be, even, Lord, Facebook, that the fragrance of Jesus Christ would come through in that relationship, that they might come to know the Lord we love. And especially, Lord, we thank you for our closest family members. And we pray that they come to know you, that they not be turned away or turn themselves away from you, but they come to, to see that you are the living God and you've sent your son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. Oh, we thank you. We praise you in his name. Amen.